0: so hello and welcome to the russian football news podcast you're joining us on the 10th of march of course the we've got some good and bad news really because the russian football league season has started once again so we'll be reviewing those results from the weekend but unfortunately last night Saw Zenit lose to Benfica, which now means all the Russian clubs are out of Europe. Anyway, we'll be getting to that later on in the podcast, but first I'll um, introduce the guests. We've got Alex Lawrence. Please introduce yourself.
1: Hi, my name's Alex. Um, You can find me on Twitter at at the 10 space. That's all letters. Okay, lovely. As you can see,
0: we've got the, uh, the Scottish element in, so we're, we're not prejudiced here. And we've also got David Sanson, who of course has joined us before on the podcast. Hello there, David.
2: Hello, Sam. Thanks for having me back.
0: Yeah, no problem. We, we enjoy your company. Okay, so we may as well dive straight into it here. Um, I'm just going to read the results, the aggregate results for the listeners. So, like I said, really bad news for the Russian sides. Uh, Champions League, Zenit lost 3-1 on aggregate to Benfica. In the Europa League, uh, Fenerbahce beat Lokomotiv Moscow three-one on aggregate, and probably the most embarrassing is Sparta Prague beating Krasnodar 4 0 on aggregate. So, Alex, um, I know you said off-air that you you wanted to rant about Zenit. So, so now's your chance. Why why have things gone so badly?
1: Oh, where do you start? I mean, probably a good place to start would be in terms of how they played. Anyway, it'd be taxi start at the beginning of attacks. So Zenit for as long as I've been watching them under A V B have been woefully bad in this respect in that they will occupy areas of the pitch where which are have very little strategic value. So these are mainly the wings and so basically if you're trying to, if you're trying to build up attacks down the wings, you're probably doing something wrong because you're you're hemmed in by the touchline. It's generally not a good place to to try to try to get to. Um in addition to that, it's just ugh, there's Danny. Danny just just messes things up a lot. It's really frustrating to watch. He just he runs around everywhere. I noticed that he there was a a stat saying that he'd run the most of any player in the entire Champions League this season, which is just bizarre for a player who's now well, how old is he now is. And he's in his, certainly in his thirties. About thirty-three, I
0: think.
1: Right, uh, so for a player of 33, a player that you wouldn't nat- naturally associate with being a, you know, a lung-busting midfielder. Um, but when you watch his game, it's really evident. He will appear in nonsensical positions. He will look to get the ball off the toes of his fullbacks, which, again, is a huge, just, what are you doing? Um, so, yeah, they're really hindered in that respect. Um Against Benfica, they were pretty much well. They were pretty much to the left to just counterattack, really they attacks and set pieces. And you know, Benfica are a, a decent footballing side, and they were able to deal with any with most of these threats. Anyway, the fact that they, the only goal that Zenit got in the tie was from a Azurkov crossed down the left, and the build up looked a bit suspect. There may have been a foul in there, but I mean, really. <sighs> I saw a lot of people saying that Zenit were unfortunate to go out, but having seen both of the games and knowing what Zenit are like in general, I think it's definitely definitely a fair reflection on where they are right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, like you said, certainly. I mean, I can just judge, by the way, that assuming Danny leaves at the end of the season, you're probably not going to miss him.
1: No. <laughs> not in the slightest, not in the
0: slightest. But David, with Zenit's Champions League ambitions and the... Really, the money pumped in. I mean, we had a, a question on the Russian football news page from Artyom who said, Why don't rich Russian clubs perform well in Europe? Um, particularly in reference to Zenit, I guess. David, what would your
2: answer be to that? Um, well, I mean, in recent years, Zenit really haven't spent all that much. I mean, since their money on Witzel and um and Gareth, I haven't, I can't really think of them spending too much money what i would say david is wages you look at cacordian etc true but even so i think clubs like benfica for, as the main example as you know they've just knocked him out they're they're keeping up well with the spending as well like they've got a huge hugely talented squad over there i mean jonas is their main player who they picked up on i think he was a free from valencia and he's bagging goals left right and center so i mean i think it's not a case of russian clubs overspending but the whole market really is keeping up. Every every team in every league has money now basically. While Russia is actually struggling with money now, I mean isn't it what, Kokorin and Zherkov for like five million total probably? If that and that's that was like almost breaking the bank in a way for them. Um Yeah, go go ahead.
1: Um just in C S K Moscow aren't really renowned for splashing the cash either. I mean, they've they've lost a few players this year, and obviously they had a fairly disappointing yeah. Champions League run, if I remember correctly. But um, certainly with the point about the wages, though. I mean, you look at what Zenit can offer wage-wise, and even clubs like Benfica, big big European clubs like Benfica, you would imagine they can't offer something like what, Hulk or, uh, what Zenit are allegedly playing, playing Hulk, which... Maybe ends a problem. Maybe the problem is that there is this sort of feeling maybe that the Russian clubs, especially Zenit, are sort of over-reliant on one or two players. So you look at Hulk's role for Zenit against um, against Benfica, and it seems like he's been told to just do whatever he pleases, which is... He's a fantastic player... But in, at the elite level, you, you can't really get away with it. You can't really get away with it. So,
2: I mean, when I saw the Zenit team last, uh, was it last night? Yeah, it was last night. Yeah. I thought they probably wouldn't beat them because, realistically, they, they had a few big players missing. I just thought when they, when they didn't win, I wasn't overly surprised because I thought that really on the pitch in terms of player calibre, they were pretty evenly matched. Mm-hmm. And especially with what all the... I think I was influenced on Danny. I was especially looking at him when I was watching uh, because of all the stuff that you've been posting on Twitter and things like that. And uh, I can sort of relate him to uh, Ozil and Arsenal's team who will drop deep when he's not getting the ball supplied to him. Mm. But then I think he'll actually produce something more often than not, whereas Danny doesn't seem to do that all that I mean, often. He's, he's a fantastic player and... All all my rants about
1: him shouldn't go down as me saying he's not a good player because he's a he's a marvelous player. In fact, he's probably one of the players that you would turn to in any, almost any situation and say, "Okay, Danny, we've got a bit, we've got a predicament here. Can you solve it?" And most of the time, you can. And even last night, we saw he had some fantastic moments, some some brilliant passes he was playing for Zhirkov and for Anikov. But that works fine if you're playing on the counter attack when you can just sort of when you're attacking, it's just. Express yourself, just go at pace and just go, go, go. But when you're trying to dominate the play like Zenit do, having a player who should be the focal point for attacks and should be the focal point for any sort of construction of play, to have him gallivanting off down the left and gallivanting off down the right and picking the ball up off your full-back just really hinders your team more than helps you.
2: I mean, could we maybe pin it not on Danny, but centre-mids. I mean, I saw a clip that I think, again, you posted, where you had the two centre-backs trying to play out and the centre-mids were up with Danny yeah, I mean, in the, the attacking this, third. Again, Huge is, gap between them. Yeah, this is... <sighs> Surely Witzel and Mauricio should be dropping back to to help out in that sense of building attacks.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing is just a bit... It's just a bit strange, really. In all the time that I've been watching football and all the games that I've analyze and whatnot, the, I don't think I've ever seen a team play like Zenit did last night. And in the fact, that there, were signs of it, uh, there were signs of it against Krasnodar as well, where, um, who was it that started in the centre-mid for, for them against Krasnodar? I, I can't remember. Whoever it was anyway, um, they would peel off, when the centre-backs had the ball, they would peel off into the full-back positions. And they would leave the middle completely open. That was uh, Yusupov and Xavi Garcia. They would peel off and they'd go into the fullback positions. They'd let the fullbacks go forward, which is great. I mean, that you're getting players up the pitch, fantastic. But then you you leave the entire middle of the pitch empty, apart from one player. And there are very few players in the world who can connect a team together all on their own. And
2: Zenit don't have any of those players. The thing with Zenit is that in the league they're so used to dominating they don't really have to use a defensive mid per se so when they started last night they started with Mauricio and Witzel who aren't really defensive mids they're more box-to-box players if they started with Harry Garcia maybe they'd have had something because he's a bit more defensive but But, they had no one to sit and sort of just keep the game ticking over what I would say
0: is they were 1-0 down from the first leg so perhaps they felt the need to sacrifice that
2: yeah
1: that's true and Mauricio, a. am a big fan of Mauricio. The, to fair, I'll be honest, I didn't really see much from him at Terek. I'm very sort of Zenit-focused, like for my sins. Um, but from what I saw of him in preseason, from what I've seen of him, I think at the end of the Krasnodar game, obviously we scored a free tick uh, in the cup, which is fantastic. Um, and from what I saw from yesterday, he, as a player, he's fantastic. But it just seems that uh, I, I loathe to... Criticise, VS suppose, because obviously we don't know exactly what he what he's trying to do with the team. But when you see some of the stuff that he's obviously been asked to do, it's it's just a bit it's a bit mystifying, really.
2: The only thing I can say against Zenit from last night was that Benfica's defence was very sort of um, haphazard, not haphazard, but built not very built. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they had that young centre back and I think they had a defensive mid playing in centre back yes, as well. Uh-huh. And with Juba, you'd imagine Juba should be able to bully those two off the pitch, but he did the only thing I remember him doing was going on a little mazy run. And yeah. uh, that's it. He should well, have been they should have yeah. been pumping it in there for him really. He had a couple of he had a couple of chances. And I think that actually
1: that was maybe the motivation for Hulk and Concord playing the way that they did. Usually we would expect, you know, it's Hulk when you play him on the right and you let him cut in on the left and he'll hit shots for fun. And that's just what he does. But to see to see Hulk play on the left and then Corn on the right was maybe a, a shift in focus. Maybe we'll try to get the ball down the left a bit more and try to cross stuff in for Zuba. Although, a goal, for the goal aside, that didn't really happen that much.
0: Yeah, I want to switch the focus now, to be honest. We've spoken quite a bit about Zenit. I want to look at the Europa League as well. We've had Lokomotiv and Krasnodar crash out. Um, I mean, I think we both saw... Well, we all saw the first game, especially with Fenerbahce. I'm going to focus on Lokomotiv because, David, that was a really poor showing from the Moscow side.
2: Yeah, I mean... When I was watching, I watched the second leg and... um... Just, they had nothing. Without Nias, they had nothing. They had Miranchik playing as the striker until about the 80th minute. And um, they just had no outball. Um, Kostaev and Samadov were very defensive because Fenebache were keeping them pinned. And um, it was no surprise, really, when Fenebache, even though it was lucky, got their goal um, to seal the tie. Because um, without anyone up front to stretch the play, they, they, they just weren't generating anything. So, um, delaying their signing of Henty really, I think, um, really done them over because they can not register him in time and they, that might have helped them. Yeah, Alex,
0: did you catch the uh, Fenerbahce locomotive game?
1: I saw a bit of the first game. Um, I think the first game was a summer type of deal. There was, a, who's up front? Skuletic, scu- scu- was up front and I don't think... He was getting much joy at all. Um, From what I saw of that game, anyway, it was very much the case of Fenerbahce where was dominating. Really, they got the they got the two goals from Souza, and they weren't pretty goals, and they may be a bit lucky. But if they didn't get those two goals, they would have got another two. I mean, it was in my mind,
2: it was that type of game, anyway. The thing with Skeletic is he's completely different to Nias. So the way that. Locomotive had gotten through the group stage. They had to they had to just change their style completely for the ultimately harder round um, because they didn't have someone to run. They had to, you know, Skilic is his big guy. They're just going to try and play the ball off him and have the midfield runners. But um, it's not it didn't work against Venevaci
0: at all. But what I would say is, would you just say it was a case of the better team winning? Because Fenerbahce, one of the top teams in Turkey, Lokomotive, of course, like you said, selling the ass, don't really have that asset anymore. Is it just a case of um, Fenerbahce winning there, Alex? I,
1: I would say so. Yeah, I would definitely say so. I mean, the Fenerbahce are are well, top of the top of the Super League in Turkey. Um, you look at the experience and the players they've got. They've got Van Persie, Nani, Bruno Alves, of course, Exene, um, mixed in with some some cracking players in there as well. I mean, guys like um, now, Tolka's going to murder me for this pronunciation, but Simon Kier at centre back is a very, very highly rated, very highly rated prospect indeed. And Fairbairn of course, played in the same group as Glasgow Celtic so I, I, might, I saw a couple of, of their games in that group and they looked impressive there too. They got a decent 2 each draw at Parkhead. And yeah, I think I think it probably was just the case of the better team one, really.
0: Yeah, I'm going to move on to Krasnodar in that case because they lost 4-0. And this is really a completely different kettle of fish because, let's be honest, the Czech league, no offence to it, but it's not nearly the same level as the Russian league and you know Krasnodar doing quite well in the Russian league fourth at the moment so really looking for a European spot possibly even Champions League David that's a real embarrassment there
2: yeah I mean considering how well their group stage had gone with the uh, results against Dortmund and progressing as I think they won their group didn't they so to see them go out like in the way they did is um, it was the shock of the round out of all the three Russian teams that was the one you're expecting to progress um having not seen the games it's hard to say why um but on paper you'd you expect them to do a lot better especially with how they set up to play in the domestic division and how they played in the group stage you know just this weekend they drew with Zenit which is um a fine result in its own um so to see them lose how they did especially the second leg which was three 0 you know, at home I think they lost um yeah, just not good at
0: all. Yeah, Alex, do you think it's a question of inexperience for Krasnodar? We know club only formed in recent years. I think it's only their second time in Europe and last season didn't even get out of the group and you know, again, bit of a shameful result against albeit in a lower league, a more a much more experienced club in Sparta Prague.
1: I would say, I mean that's perhaps there's maybe something in that. You look at the you look at the team of the Krasnodar have at the moment, and it's on paper. It's a lovely, lovely team. There's some fantastic players in there. Odil Akhmadov is a great player. Pereira, Jalzinho, Smolov, of course, fantastic players. And but maybe there is a bit of inexperience. There. You have the you have the the two well the two centre backs at the start of the the first game. The first game is the one that I saw actually, and um, Sigurdsson and Granqvist, and these are you know these are older guys but they can't, they can't be expected to pull the entire team on their own. They can't expect, be expected to carry the team in terms of um, how they conduct themselves in a the pitch or, or whatnot. Now, again, it's a, it's a fantastic team that they've put together, and I think that they deserve to be where they are in the Russian Premier League. But maybe maybe you're right. Maybe they didn't have that sort of know-how how to get through... A European timer, Sparta Prague have been here time and time again in Europe. Maybe they've just got that little bit extra, that extra um, bit of, of experience in that sense.
0: Yeah. Um, well, maybe what I would say is going back to that question we had earlier with Artyom said, how well? How would how do Russian clubs progress from here? Because it's been disappointment after disappointment. Every year. So, what do you think they
2: need to do? Um, I don't think it's a money thing. You know, we see CSKA spending very little, but on players from smaller leagues, and they adapt very well. And um, it's gotten them pretty far, and they play some good football. It's um, it mu, it must come down to how they're setting up. Like Kristian Lars' normal game players sit, sit, and then they've got this great attacking trio to bomb on the counter attack and to come up against probably you know a smaller team who might also choose to sit maybe they weren't comfortable attacking or being the attacking team for longer periods of time and that's why they got caught out presumably on the counter I think one of their goals they conceded was a penalty um, conceded on the counter so it could be that I think it's probably more down to how these you know these teams are already good enough to get into Europe So it's not a case of having to spend more. It's um, dealing with the situation
0: they're in. So Alex, this might be a bit of a long-winded question, but bear with me. So David there mentioned the counter-attack. What I'm going to say is, is the Russian league strong enough, i.e. the teams such as Krasnodar, you mentioned go on the counter, Loko were the same with Nias, really only Zenit and Siska look to attack the opposition. So when you're looking at, particularly in Krasnodar's case against Sparta Prague, is the league strong enough in that they're always counterattacking so they're not used to having to dominate the game and is that a detriment of the Russian League?
1: I think when when you look at the when you look at the Russian Premier League, you really do split it into a top tier and the rest. Now, there might be an addition here or there to the top tier, but by and large it's maybe seven or eight teams at large. And then the rest are just the rest, and the gulf, the gulf between those two. I think it was was it last year, maybe that there was a, a noticeable gulf in the n- terms of number of points that uh, teams got. Might be in the year before, but the gulf between the two definitely does indicate that there is maybe a lack of strength and depth in the Russian Premier League. Now, even just wa- watching the games as well, you could probably. You could, probably see, you could probably back that up by watching the games. Um, having said that, you got teams in there like Ufa. I watched Ufa's cup game against CSK, and they were really nice to watch. It was a, a bit of a breath of fresh air, really, to see a team far down the league and trying to play the, the way that they did. Um, Kuban, Krasnodar are obviously doing some weird and wonderful things with the transfer market now. Um, but... Come back to the original point, probably, I would probably agree with the idea that maybe the league isn't strong enough to challenge um, these clubs that are going into Europe, to challenge them on a consistent enough basis, um, to to challenge them to really raise their, their level of play. So even we, see it with Zen- we saw it with Zenit for a number of years where they were able to win the league on a couple of occasions just simply by having the best team. And it didn't really matter how they played, how they set up. They knew that they had Danny, they had Kerdjokov, they had Arshavin, and they had Hulk, they had Wetzel, whoever. And they knew that because of that they could probably win most games just by those, just by having those individual players. Whereas, maybe to, well certainly to progress in Europe, there definitely needs to be more of a, more of an idea of what you're doing. There definitely needs to be a bit of savviness in that sense. And maybe the Russian teams don't get that um, because of the lack of depth in the, in the competition.
2: Sorry, I, I mean, think. go on. coming back to the groups, I'm going to go to a team we haven't mentioned, which is Rubin. When they played Liverpool... They set up to obviously counter because they're playing Liverpool, and uh, I think it all would depend on how the opening sort of stage of the game goes. If you don't, if the currently taking team doesn't score, then they're likely just to not get anything from the game. They'll just sit and probably concede a couple. If they can get that early goal or get an early blow, like like what Rubin did in that game at Hamfield, then they've got something to build off, and they will just defend for their lives but Krasnodar just didn't have that going for them they couldn't they couldn't break it down and i think i think it is the fact that zenit and Siska are the only two who will dominate possession in russia all the rest will counter and that's that's not going to help when it comes to europe and when they have to face the smaller teams uh, i think they I think krasnodar even struggled a little bit in the qualifying if i recall um, a long time ago now but they they did squeak through, obviously.
1: I think that um, if I could just sort of come back to this, I think that just I had just hear you speaking about Ruben there. I remember watching Zenit's game in Kazan and it's actually one that I go to quite often, actually. I think I've watched it a couple of times. It's quite a nice game. Um, but it's interesting to see and I don't I don't mean this, I don't mean this as a dig, but it's interesting to see how poor the Ruben defending was. And I wonder if this is a. Well, I don't even wonder. I think I just straight up think it is. I think it's a. It's a sort of indicator of the tactical level of the league. I think the outside of CSK Moscow, I think, are tactically the best team in the league. And obviously have Rostov who are doing fantastic things. Um, there aren't really that many other teams who are compact enough, who are capable of defending well enough or attacking well enough maybe at the start of the season it was Ural. Ural were a really interesting team at the start of the year. Um can also the who I saw against C S K recently, I thought I was really impressed by them. But other than that, I mean some of the teams some of the games you watch and it's just a bit it's a bit it's a bit difficult to watch in terms of the level of defending and the level of sort of cohesiveness
2: within within the within the teams. Rostov actually have the best defensive record in the league at the moment. They've conceded 16 goals all season. Um, and then, you know, you've got the normal names are up there. Um, Karelia, who are down in 12th, I think are the fifth best defensive record in the league. But they've all got the worst scoring record. Um, so it's not a terrible theme throughout the league. There are some good defences around there. Amkar are also quite high um, in terms of good defence but then, when you look at Angie or Kuban or Moldovia, you watch them play, and you know they're going to get bad because they have no defense. Kuban maybe will have something with Felipe Santana. Though. he looks, he looks great for them so far.
1: What I would say about that, though, is if you go by just looking at how many goals they concede, obviously it depends on the other team hmm. being decent enough to score the goals, which is another question. That's another uh, topic in itself. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree that there are there are certainly some some good teams. And there are teams that are maybe good at one thing and not another. But I think aside from CSK, who every time I watch them just really impressed me, um, it pains me to say. But yeah, aside from them, I haven't I must admit, I haven't seen much of Rostov this year, but just looking at where they are on the table, they must be doing something right. Um, but yeah, aside from maybe those two, it is difficult. It is difficult to see... Um to see any teams that are playing at a, at a European level.
0: I really hate to, to break up the party, but I want to move on to the league. But a couple of things I want to say. Rostov, one word, Berdiev. That's yep. that's just the word for
2: Rostov. <laughs> that's that's why they're doing so well. Uh,
0: but what I would say is, just before we move on to the domestic matters, do either of you see the league, any progress next season? I know it's a bit early to say, but can you see any side doing better next season?
2: Locomotive, no. I think they won't drop. They will even make Europe this year now that they haven't gotten the us. Um, Crescent will be interesting because obviously they've had to go this whole season without having to spend any money because they're transfer bans. So it'll be interesting to see if they're given a bit of freedom this summer to do something. Um, They might be able to build, because I know they've got a couple of older players who they'll probably end up phasing out of the team like Torbinski and Bistrov. So if they can get some young blood into sort of Jazz up the team a bit. They might, they might be able to progress. CSKA need to get a striker in, um, but I know they've got money issues, which is why they can't get Dmber. Zenit, they need to get into the top four to be able to even consider it. Um, I think, I think Zenit will end up up there though. Um, but whether they can spend and improve is another thing. It will depend on who the new manager is. I think.
0: And Alex, what about you? See any changes for next season?
1: Yeah, I would say they're cool. David's thoughts about Zenit and depending on who the new manager is. Um, so un, until we really, I mean, again, I, I hate to say it, but surely, surely someone comes in and they they see the deficiencies in the team at the current moment. Um, other than, just Zenit talk aside, I, I've I've had enough of that right now. Um, the Ural with Vadim Skripchenko. Um, is, of course, is uh, Gontorenko's assistant at, at Ural. Um and again, at the beginning of the season when he had his full team was doing some fantastic stuff. I was really impressed by him. Uh, it would be interesting to see how how he'll progress and how Ural will progress with him if they do continue to go with him. Um, CSKA, that's one that I've put a big question mark next to. What's going to happen with Leonid Slutsky? If, if he does decide to go to the Russia job full-time, which he may, he may not do, but they have, of course, the aforementioned Goncharenko they're waiting in the wings, and one would think that having made that staff appointment in the summer, that they are lining up to bring him in as a manager full-time, and that could be really interesting. Obviously a guy is really highly rated for his work at, at Bate and less so in Russia, but certainly someone who to keep an eye out on. So I think yeah, I think Ural and C S K Moscow would be the teams that I'll be watching
2: with a great interest next year. Well Rostov, it'll be interesting to see a birdie of team in Europe again if they can if they can qualify. Uh, of course, of course. Because, uh, you know, he's got a great record in Europe. Um And, you know, if they do qualify, they'll have a bit of money come in. I mean, they've already done some great stuff this window, getting uh, Yurokin and Kudryashov, um, who are more than capable signings to play um, for one of the top sides in Russia. So if they can qualify, it'd be great to see what Berdiev will do, Uh, as much as it pains me to say it.
1: Maybe we could see, uh, with all the money that's going to come in in the summer, maybe we could see a a berdiev roman Sorokov reunion. I think that, that that would be a that'd be lovely it'd be fireworks fireworks all around on the on that front.
0: Okay so now I want to move on to the domestic uh, league. So after much excitement after excuse me after much excitement from the winter break we moved back into the Russian Premier League. It was week 19 and week 19 was awful. So the results are as followed. We have Krylia Sovetov and Rostov that was a 1-0 win for Rostov. Rubin beat uh, Kuban 1-0, which David, of course, was pleased about. Krasnodar Zenit 0-0, we previously mentioned. Ufa and Mordovia, two relegation candid- candidates, drew 1-1. Not helpful for either side, really. Uh, Terek beat Lokomotiv 2-1 at home. And CSKA beat Spartak 1-0, thanks to an Ahmed Musa goal. Ural and Dynamo Moscow drew 1-1. Quite a lot of interest in Dynamo now that they've lost Kokorin, of course. And the final result was a 1-0 win for Amkar Away at Angie So like I said, pretty drab results, really nothing too much giving. Is there anything that caught your eye over the weekend, David?
2: Um well I subjected myself to six of those games I watched um over the over the three days. Um Ufa Mordovia was interesting. Um Moldovia took the lead second half for a, a somewhat dodgy penalty, uh, having not really had anything during the game. Um Then they missed in the last five minutes when Uf were really pushing for an equaliser. Moldovia missed a 1v1 chance with a really poor finish from Mikomechin. And then they had a 4v2. um, And Lutsenko, who had come on as a sub, shot straight at the keeper. And then 93rd minute, uh, Uf had a free kick, sent everyone up, including the goalie. Uh, It bobbled around the box and got tucked in. Uh, And that's why Moldovia will get relegated. They can't finish. I mean, God knows why Lutsenko didn't start in that game. You know, he's got, I think, seven or eight goals. He's one of the top scorers in the league, and he sat on the bench to let Sam Woden and Mukamechin lead the line. Um, so, yeah, that was interesting. It just confirms to me that Moldova will go down. There's no there's no way they'll get out of it. Oh, if they do, I'm happy to resign from the podcast. They will go. They will go. Angie Amkar, similarly, I think I don't think Angie will stay up either. Um they they were victim to a defensive mistake after about two minutes. And then Amcar just sat and were able to really easily hold them off because they've got not a lot going forward. Um they were the two that really caught my eye, both at the bottom. Um and yeah, I can see curtains for both of those teams coming up.
0: What I would say about Mordovia is, although their 15 points are actually only, a, well, really a point off survival, Angie with a really terrible goal difference of minus 14, Mordovia with only minus 5, so I mean, to be honest David, I agree with you, I'm just playing devil devil's advocate <laughs> really, but I mean Mordovia again didn't
1: sign anybody in the window, and yeah. pretty dreadful really. Uh,
0: Alex, what about you, anything catch your eye over the weekend?
1: I'll admit I was working all weekend and I managed to spare myself from any of the games, but I'm just looking at results here. Um, obviously, CSK Moscow's result, great result. Um, maybe not quite the, the the strong as strong a derby as it was has been in the and in, in the past, but certainly a fantastic result. Um, then it's the nil draw, I'm glossing over that. Um, looking through here, um, Ruben with their one 0 win against. Kaban, obviously Kaban with all their with all their new signings and uh, controversial. But see the nice to see that um Dennis Tkachuk is on the on the score sheet. So I don't know if you saw this one, David, but how is
2: um I mean I did I didn't know much about Tkachuk before he signed. Uh, I just knew he was a winger slash attacker. Uh, but he is um he is a really exciting player to watch. He's Great work, great will always chase the ball. He's very quick as well, and uh, both paid off. Um, with his goal, you know, he um, he was first to a rebound after someone had spilled a long shot. You know, the defender didn't track him at all, uh, even the he I think he wouldn't have caught him. And he just tapped it in. Um, but he's a really exciting player. I mean, got Denise Denise sat on the bench to uh, to give him the starting starting berth, and uh, he took it really well. Um, Kuban. I saw them in the cup, the game, the game, uh, the game before, and they were decent. Um, but this time around, they weren't. They didn't offer a lot. They had Solishnyov up front uh, for the whole game, and he caused some issues, but not enough to trouble the defenders. Um, but their midfield is very young. They have um, two or three young players who I think will have to start for the rest of the season. There's that's an area they haven't strengthened. Uh, Koretnik and Yakuba um, and Georgievski. And that's where they struggle. They they were playing mainly long balls to Slesniov who hasn't got much to his game other than that he's a big guy and uh, he, has, he you know he's not one to run onto balls. Um, you know the defense will improve with Santana. He was good again, but um, their goal scoring I don't think will will improve too much. Um, now that they've lost to cut uh, well, who, who they lost they lost off and Ignatiev. Um, and Takachev, so um, yeah, they'll 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 be struggling, but I think they'll they'll be okay with their improved defence.
0: David, am I right in thinking you were on the RFN betting over the
2: weekend? I was. So how did you how did you do? Um, I went nil nil for Moldovia so balls that one up. I said I said uh, the Moscow derby was going to be over five goals, so I really <laughs> So uh, I really messed that one up. But I I had Amkar to beat Angie who was Amkar had surprisingly high odds. I think they were four to one or something to beat Angie. Um, and considering how terrible Angie are, I've jumped on that. So one, my, one myself forty quid. Yeah, That's not bad. Uh, as well as the uh, as well as the betting. So uh, yeah, not too bad. I think um, Ilya had the curly result not to score, which isn't a surprise, considering they've got twelve goals all season.
0: Yeah, I mean, what I'll just say to the listeners is um. I mean, if you don't know about it, we have a partnership with Bet365. So every week, now that the season's back underway, we'll every, so the day before the first game, so in this instance, I think the first game's on Friday this week, so the betting advice will go up on Thursday for bets on Bet365, so our advice, and generally the site is in quite a lot of profit, so you'll do very well to follow our advice, and I'm sure everybody will echo those thoughts. Um, Alex, just really coming to you on this. Only Terek scored more than one goal over the entire weekend. What, is it extended winter break, seems the obvious answer?
1: Like obviously, it's perhaps a bit too simplistic to put everything down to just that, but you can't help but think that that's perhaps a reason. Uh, perhaps a, a reason. Uh-huh. Um, they don't play... What well, They didn't play for four months near, near on...
2: 90 points. days.
1: Right, three months, right. So that's a long time to not play competitive football, um, especially mid-season. So to try to, to try to get back into gear and to try to get back into the, the swing of things after that sort of time out, although they do have these friendly camps in, in Spain and Portugal and not so much Turkey these days, Sounds. um. Yeah, um, although they do have these friendly camps, it's not you. You always hear this. They always say that nothing can, nothing compares to competitive first team football. Um, so maybe that is a maybe that is a factor, and that opens a entirely different topic of debate as to what do we do with the winter calendar, which I'm sure you could do, you could do a whole show on that, um, and probably be. More interesting than uh, listen to me rant about Zenit, but yeah, certainly, certainly the certainly the winter break probably does have an effect.
2: Yeah, I mean, Terek were the only team to score over more more than one goal, and even then, their second goal was mightily lucky. Um, I think it was Gueguerme I mean, just spilled a shot or spilled a cross into his own goal um, for the winning goal in that game, and I think yeah. Probably just a bit of sluggishness trying to get back into it. But, um, I mean, if we look at the Cup, there were some goals there. I think um, Amcar beat DMO 3-1. So, um, I don't know. Maybe it's just the swing of things. Sometimes you get those weekends in Russia where nothing happens. Sometimes you'll get a 7-5 between Moldovia and CSK. So, um, it's just the way it goes, I think.
0: So, really, for the listeners, there's not that much else to report on. But, I want to stone iron guarantee i know that phrase makes no sense that this week 20 is going to be much better
1: can i can i get that from both of you yes it it, it can't get much worse and, and so
2: David, it has to get it. yeah you've got some big teams against some little teams locomotive to ufa moldovia krasnodar um and then you've got some of the big teams playing each other rostov cska the top two that'll be a great game should be at least um and then zenit rubin on the sunday should be good as well so um I mean, I'll try and tune into at least three or four of them. Yeah, I'll just uh, read those fixtures out for the listeners. So, starting on Friday,
0: it's Kuban Krasnodar at home to Krylia Savietov. And then on Saturday, the fixture list is Ural Anji, Spartak Amkar, Rostov Siska, as David previously mentioned. And then Sunday, we round off with three games, which is Mordovia Krasnodar. Again, another relegation battle for Mordovia after Ufa last week. Then we've got Locomotive at home to Ufa and Zenit at home to Rubin Kazan to finish off the weekend. Uh, Alex, there's also a Monday game, uh, Dinamo Turek as well. That is not on my list. Oh, blimey. <laughs> that is awful. Who sent me this <laughs> link, David? Who sent it to me?
2: I'm uh, using the same <laughs> link. It's on my page.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, oh. Alex, anything stand out for you at the weekend there?
2: Any of those um, Zenit, Rubin.
1: Usually, uh, usually uh, a hotly contested match. Um, Rostov CSK obviously top of the table clash um will definitely be I'll definitely look to to watch that one um certainly could be could be interesting to see how, how Rostov looked to deal with the CSK attack which is looking pretty good pretty good now um especially now they've got Shirokov in there i think that was a huge huge boost um other than that i mean Dynamo, Dynamo against Terek. Sure, probably. You know, the thing with these games is, it's it's all fine and well me saying, oh, this game will be good, this game will be good, but we all know that one of them, one of the games that I haven't mentioned will turn out to be that seven five that David mentioned before. So, yeah, but Kuban, yeah. I would
2: avoid Kuban clearly on the Friday. That sounds that sounds pretty drab to me. I hope just, just, that's
0: now seven five.
2: Yeah, yeah just wait. so do <laughs> I. Just wait, so. It sounds <laughs> drab. I mean, they've got... Ask, maybe, oh, you've got the worst defence against the worst attack there. So um, that should be interesting. 7-5 guaranteed. No, I mean, Zenit Rubin should be great. Um, Rubin, I think we drew the last game in St. Petersburg. So um, we've got Devich back this weekend. So um, based on how we played last week, I, I fancy our chances, especially with how Zenit will feel at the moment. Um, I fancy our chances of picking up something uh, on Sunday afternoon. I fancy your chances too. I fancy your chances too.
0: (laughs) So with um, Kuban and Mordovia happening, of course the bottom two, do you think it's, I mean I know it's really cliche six-pointer and I've just said it which is really embarrassing, but do you think whoever wins that stays up there, Alex? I know there's a long way to go, but... Thinking of taking off teams the points, are, taking off uh, points from the teams around you. What that what game is this? That that would be Kuban and That would put you on eighteen points, which would pop you in thirteenth place above Ufa.
1: Is that is that next week? That's this or week coming it? up. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we're done. Oh well, yes, prob- probably yeah. I mean, you're looking down there, and it does get tight. And obviously, the the matches against the team around you are the are the ones that you really want to do well in. Anything other than that is, you're looking at, you know, bonus, you're looking at winning with house money. Um, But certainly, Mordovia, both Mordovia and Kuban certainly have to to rectify something. Something has to improve uh, for both of those teams. Otherwise, well, yeah, it's relegation for both of them. Um, And it certainly does look that way. You look at the teams above them, with and G I, I fancy Far to get
2: through. Um, if we are on some good form, they're actually unbeaten in their last uh, last five games. Um, yeah. So it's Terica, the Terica and Terica are the only team unbeaten in their last five. Um, yeah, I, Moldovia will go for sure. They've. I mean, they've got serious money issues. though. they lost their arguably their best player in uh, Damian Letalic, and. Um, and Yannick Jallu as well, um, he was on loan. So I, I can't see anything coming from that team this year.
0: Just for the listeners, we did a roundtable with a few of the writers on the website. And actually, I t- tipped Ufa to really struggle. I couldn't see them ending up in relegation playoffs because, you know, really low scorers, didn't sign a goal scorer in the window. I mean, that five unbeaten, of course, does well. But they, they couldn't really muster anything at the weekend, couldn't beat Moldovia at home. So I mm-hmm. think quite worrying signs for them, really. Um, David, quick prediction from you for probably the biggest clash of the weekend. I know we've mentioned Zenit Rubin with all our affiliations, but Rostov, mm-hmm. Siska, Rostov at home,
2: prediction? I'm going to go 1-0 Rostov. I think uh, I think they'll defend really well, like they have done this season, with their five-of-the-back formation. I don't know how well CSK will deal with that. And uh, I, think, I think they'll bag a 1-0 win. Um, what about from you, Alex? Um,
1: I'll go with one-one. I'll Go with one-one again. I think with Rostov and how well he's been doing defensively. Um, I think we could be in for we could be in for a really fascinating matchup in that sense. Um, but yeah, I I can't I can't pick a winner between the two. So just for the
0: listeners, like I said, the betting tips will go up this week. So like I said, we are in profit. So do follow those and make sure you catch those weekend games because generally we do quite well on the betting and everything. But now, we've, what I'm going to mention here, we're going to move on from on the field. I'm going to go a bit off the field. Now, there's been big news broken in the last couple of days, which isn't actually about football, but it does involve Russia with uh, Maria Sharapova has admitted, admitted uh, testing positive in a drugs test at the Australian Open. She tested positive for Meldonium. Now, on the website, there is an absolutely fantastic piece by Ilya on Meldonium within Russian football. Now, I know it's a bit hard to comment at this stage because nothing's really been that confirmed. But, Alex, do you think this could affect the league at all?
1: I think with any any performance-enhancing drugs, when you... When you think about it in the in a football context, the benefits of it certainly are there, but they don't become the margin between winning and losing. Um, In sports like tennis, in sports like cycling or swimming, where it's very much the sort of my body against the opponents, then for sure, then you know they certainly give you a huge push, Um, but. Performance-enhancing drugs won't make your team defend better. It might be able to make them run for longer. I know that um, in Austria, Red Bull's Salzburg's team, when they were pressing teams ridiculously well for ridiculous periods of time, there's a lot of talk going around there that maybe they were using some performance-enhancing drugs. Well, really, that's a bit disparaging to the work of a fantastic fitness coach. Um, what I would think could be really interesting is to. <clears throat> I don't know if Elia mentions it in the in the piece, but with the success of youth of the Russian youth teams, with the success that they've had um, in the youth tournaments and the in the European youth tournaments under seventeens and 19s and then failing to really impose themselves at first team level at their own clubs, I would maybe it makes for a, an interesting maybe it begs an interesting question there. Um, What is it that makes these youth players so good at that age group, and yet they can't make the jump to their own first team at their own clubs when their contemporaries in Spain um, are playing many more times the minutes that the Russian uh, young players are getting. So maybe that's a... So, I mean, it's a overly complex question, but I think for sure it's um it's an interesting talking point.
0: So David, I mean Vitaly Mutko of course sports minister and head of the Russian Football Union has really dismissed this Meldonium and generally this whole thing in general saying it's a bit of a placebo and it the drug doesn't really do anything. Is his attitude towards it serious enough for you?
2: It's it's a hard one to say. I mean It depends on how we're looking at it. If we're looking at it from international level where the player's going off to play for the national teams, um, then sure, it it should be looked at uh, in greater depth. But I don't know how the rules are working on the difference between the tennis or the athletics compared to the RPL. I don't know if the RPL has that as a banned substance. And if it falls under the same set of guidelines as... Uh, Sharapova or the biathletes who have been caught out recently. It would do under um, Wada
0: rules. It's it's done by Wada.
2: It? it would. Um, well, yeah. Well, then, yes. <laughs> in that case, yeah, he is. He does seem a bit too um, relaxed about the whole situation. Um, if it if it's illegal, it's illegal. Um, but we all know how tricky Russia have been in the past with. Um, the whole athletics team being caught out and uh, suspended, I think, aren't they, for the upcoming Olympics? Uh, not, It hasn't been decided yet. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tricky one um, with the amount of testing and stuff that goes on. You wonder how serious it's being taken in Russia and whether everything's just being bypassed and kept on the hush.
0: So, I mean, really, I think I just wanted to mention the shout thing because we've had uh, a couple of questions about it on the various social media, so I thought we'd give it a mention. But just for those listeners and readers of the website, do check out Ilya's piece because there are interviews on there with um, quite some high-esteem medical people in Russian football, some team doctors and things like that, talking about uh, the drug meldonium. So it's actually a really fascinating piece for it. Now, another question we had to discuss on the podcast that actually came in from Ilya, the he seems to be mentioned quite a lot on this podcast. He said, "Should a youth league exist, or is it better for youngsters to play in the second team, like they do at Spartak and Zenit?" I'm going to fire that one at you, Alex.
1: Um, that's an interesting question for sure. Um, and there are many approaches to this. We see, <clears throat> sorry, we see clubs like well, in Spain for sure. In Spain, they have um, their B teams. All the top teams have the B teams that's play in lower divisions um, and you see I know it's a bit of a, a bad example to use Barcelona and their setup but you see how many players came through Barcelona's b team um, I think there's a similar thing maybe in Germany I think where they have second teams which play in the regional liga and um, and the link below that. So there are a number of approaches here. In terms of what's best for the development, that's that's the that's a million dollar question, right? Um Is it best rubles. to a billion rubles, well, how much is that gonna get you? Uh well, still quite a lot actually. Um but yeah, the in development, is it better to play against players your own age, or better to come to play against um, older players? Now, just based on the success of the Spanish and German youth teams and the experience that they get from playing adult football, I would perhaps lean more towards. I'm sorry, lean more towards that school of thought. Although then you have a completely another debate about how do you go about implementing it do you create a, a league for the second teams in which case you're pretty much undoing the work you've just done or do certain teams have to make way for the second teams of bigger clubs which will surely be an unpopular decision um I think that's perhaps the, the theme of it though I mean there are going to be unpopular decisions but if the if the goal is for a stronger Russian uh, national team in the future then surely everyone has to has to buy into that
0: Personally I'd say about getting rid of smaller clubs I would be totally against that and I hope everybody else would be as well but David I heard you come in on that one
2: Yeah I mean the thing that I was thinking is that we have a couple Zenit and Spartak who are in the uh, FNL at the moment but they don't ut- especially Zenit don't utilise it for their youth as much you know they've got players who are in their early 20s who are their regulars rather than their you know, late teenagers who should be the ones playing. You know, They've had, I mean, Tkachuk, we talked about earlier, he played loads of games this season in the FNL. And so players like Yashuk, uh, and they've signed players who are in their 20s, Salamatov and Chernov, who will not play for Zenit. They'll go straight into Zenit too. Uh, and it seems almost pointless because they can't be promoted. And they're too old almost. Well, you say too old you think they're going to be too old to progress rapidly enough to make Zenit's first team. So it seems like they're not utilising it in the way they should be. And you could maybe say the same for Spartak, um, with Davidov and Mitrushkin both leaving to go to uh, Switzerland and the Czech Republic. But maybe that's just the players being disillusioned with only playing in the FNL. I think think they maybe utilise it slightly better than Zenit do. Um, But if it can be used well, I know... Um, a lot of teams prefer to use farm clubs rather than their second teams um, where their players will get a lot of first team football for example Rubin they have a farm club where Kvartvelia, Kambalov, Portnyagin all got a season of football and now they're regulars in the first team so it can work it's just a case of how it's utilised
0: Yeah we had quite an interesting discussion I think it was on a couple of podcasts ago with uh, Andrew was on, of course, Andrew, and man, who's generally keeping an eye on the FNL with his uh, connections to two men. Of course, we had the discussion of whether it would be better for players to leave abroad. We've seen players go to Lithuania, for example, or whether it would be better to apply their trade in the FNL. Um, Alex, what would your opinion be on that?
1: Um, I think that certainly um, Russian players going abroad is something that we don't really see a whole lot of. Um, other than obviously notably, Denis Cheryshev, there aren't. I mean, none really spring to mind. Um, apart from Kharzhikov, of course. Um, but I think that it would certainly be beneficial. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're getting first team football, if you're getting first team football, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter if it's in Denmark or if it's in Russia. Or if it's in Spain, if you're getting first team football, you're going to develop at a a really good a really good rate. If you can get first team football at a at a big club with with uh, good coaching staff, with good facilities, and even better. But at the end of the day, if you're not getting first team football, then it's going to be very difficult for a player to develop.
2: I think it can work either way. Um, you know, you've got players like Krychuk who's just moved back to Krasnodar, having gone out to Portugal when he was uh, a youngster. And then you have got players who make it to the RPL having moved up through the FNL. Um, obviously, we don't see many players going abroad. So I think it'd be interesting to get more players doing so, and we are getting more players doing so, just to test the methods and see which one is more effective. But at the moment, it's hard to say because we don't have a big enough pool to sort of test and analyse, but I would say at the moment it wouldn't really matter where they go unless they're getting a good chance at a really sizeable club um, like Mitrushkin could do at Sion, who you know, are in the Europa League at the moment, if he could get regular playing time there, then that would be great for him
1: What I would say about the about that is we have Olzenek well, currently, I think they sold a player in the summer um, Jamaldin Um He's in Denmark now yeah, he's in Denmark now. Uh, now, I don't know how much game time he's getting, but I th- I think actually, I'm pretty sure last time I checked it wasn't a whole lot. Um, but in terms of the way that his deal works, I'm sure. Now, feel free to correct me on this one, but I'm I'm pretty sure that I think it was AG AGF he went to yeah. in Denmark. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that they have bought him outright, mm-hmm. so he is now an AGF player, and Zenit have an option. To buy him back within a couple of years or so. Um, I think that in terms of a player's development, I think that that is really important. It's really important that a player knows that the club is committed to him as much as he's committed to the club, and that they are they have an investment in him, um, and he isn't just something that's
2: been sort of passed on as a as a favour almost. Um, it's the same with Mitroshkin. They've got the uh, Spartak have got that uh, buyback auction after two years.
1: Yeah, it's, it's in in my opinion I think that's a that's a really nice it's a really good gesture from the from the from both the clubs and I think it's probably the well aside from him getting first team football his parent club I think that's probably the the best way to do it um if he doesn't turn out if he doesn't turn out and if he doesn't progress again it hopes he does then AGf get a they get a player they get you know, a player, a decent player, a player who's got, um, I think he played the game in the, well, I certainly, I saw him play for Zenit in the Champions League qualifiers a couple of years ago against uh, Nordjaland. But if he does end up developing, then Zenit have that option to bring him back. And then all of a sudden you have a player who's two years more mature and hopefully ready for um, for first team football.
0: Now, lads, just before we uh, finish this podcast, I just want a quick one-word answer from each of you. I'm going to come to you first, David. Uh, B-teams or Youth League? B-teams. And Alex? B-teams. Okay, so it would be interesting to get the opinion of the other ice on that. But I think that pretty much rounds up this uh, edition of the podcast. So, again, I'd like to thank David and Alex. Uh, David, do you want to just um, give your Twitter handle and how people can get hold of you?
2: Um, yeah, my Twitter is at Ruben Kazan UK.
0: OK, perfect. And Alex, I know you mentioned it earlier, but just mention it.
1: Yeah, I jumped the gun a bit. Um, My Twitter is at the 10 space. So that's all letters at the 10 space.
0: Okay, perfect. And if anyone's interested, I am at Thomas underscore Giles underscore UK. Of course, do keep checking out the Russian Football News website. That's RussianFootballNews.com. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. We're up there. Look at the Russian Football News Twitter handle, that is at News. Like us on Facebook, all the usual business on social media. Do look at the website because there's stuff going up on there every day. And like I said, Bet365 links make yourself a bit of money as well. So again, thank you to David and Alex, and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much.
1: Идёт беспольный
2: матч, летит на поле мяч.